Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. You've got questions, we've got answers. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, we're bringing real answers to help you live and love your grit and grace life. Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. I'm Darlene Brock. Hey, girl. Hey, I'm Julie Bender. How you doing today, Julie? I am here. <laughs> yes, that's all I'm saying. I'm hanging in there. I'm just, you know, I'm in that hard season. It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> fine is such a great word. <laughs> I mean, you are, you know, you and Donnie, you're married, you have Lincoln, you have Rev, you have sleeping challenges, you have get my husband off to work mm-hmm. and encourage him along the way and mm-hmm. try to get a little rest. All of that stuff. All those things. We're just, you know, we're just doing the dang thing every day. <laughs> How about you, Dar? Uh, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> you know, I really am though. But you know, I have said when I go home to be with Jesus that whatever I'm in an urn or the ground, they have to write on it. She really is fine now. That's so funny. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel that. I feel that in my bones today. Well, this week we're going to talk a little bit about what we bring into marriage. But before we get there, I thought, you know, like we always do, let's go see what other people say about marriage. <laughs> let's see what the internet says about marriage. <laughs> exactly. Could be a dumpster fire or maybe entertaining. Yep. Let's try some entertaining ones. According to Rita Rudner, an American comedian, she said, I love being married. It's so great to find that one special person you want to annoy for the rest of your life. I think there's some truth in that. No, there's a lot of truth in that. <laughs> yeah. I like this one too. Anne Bancroft, do you know her? She's an American actress mm. from, mm, I'm thinking 50s, mm. 60s. A minute before my time. Yeah. Well, I like what she said. The best way to get most husbands to do something is to suggest that perhaps <laughs> they're too old to do it. <laughs> I actually really need to use that a little more, especially considering (laughs) I tease my husband about his age. Yeah, it's true. (sighs) Well, Benjamin Franklin said, keep your eyes wide open before marriage, half shut afterwards. I actually actually really like that. Yeah, Yeah. I'm like, can I get that as a tattoo or something? (laughs) Yeah, because we really do need to ignore a few (sighs) things. We need to know before we're getting it. Yeah, we need to know before we're getting into it, (laughs) kind of what we are getting, and then afterwards go. Ah, those things don't really matter. And I'm almost kind of imagining the one that shut is like you know, like in a wink, like that's cute. (laughs) I can handle that. (laughs) Yep, indeed. All right, Groucho Marx, the American comedian. An actor said, marriage is a wonderful institution, but who wants to live in an institution? As my husband would say, I'm not going to touch that one. (laughs) All right. Albert Einstein said, women marry men hoping they will change. Men marry women hoping they will not. So each is inevitably disappointed. For some reason, I thought that was a Dr. Zoe quote. So I am like just (laughs) flabbergasted to know that it's Einstein. Well, it could be Zoe too. So (laughs) I'll take that one. All right. This one is kind of encouraging. No, this one is wisdom Mm -hmm. is what it is. To keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. Whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. That's Ogden Nash. He is an American poet, and he said it ever so poetically. Yeah, I mean, I'll just really focus on that second part. When you're wrong, admit it. When you're right, shut up. 
What do you think? You think I'm good at that one, Dar? <laughs> Julie, I don't know that any of us really are. Don't you just want to remind your spouse of what you said was probably right and what they said? Well, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, we do Not that. a great marriage tip. Nope, it's not. I mean, the truth is, is when you're in love and planning your wedding, the last thing you're thinking about is your past. But you're probably not thinking about his either. You know, we're told that love can conquer all things. It's all going to be okay, especially after you get married. And that's just not always true. It's true, Julie. We aren't just merging our possessions, our families, and our future. We're also merging our past. I feel like we should have some dun-dun-dun music right there. <laughs> Maybe just for my story. Well, today we're going to be joined by Rachel Hagstrom. She's a writer at Grit and Grace, and she was on a previous episode, you might recall, where we talked about self-esteem. Today she's going to be joining us talking about the baggage that we can bring into our marriage. She's willing to discuss what her and her husband Pete's baggage looked like and how it almost destroyed her marriage until they discovered a path to overcome. Whether you're looking for that partner, engaged to the one you intend to spend life with, or the wedding day is behind you, this episode is for you. Rachel, it's good to have you with us today. It's so good to be here with you guys. Well, before we jump into one of my favorite topics, really, in case some of our friends didn't get a chance to listen last time you joined us, can you tell us a little bit about your life, where you live, who you live with, maybe what you like to do? Sure. Yeah. I live in Dallas, Texas. I live with my husband, Pete, and my two daughters and our golden doodle, Winston. Mm -hmm. And um, I sort of am the COO of the household. You know, my husband, Pete, travels quite extensively. So I'm sort of like managing all the ins and outs and schlepping the kids here and there. Um, I also enjoy writing and I also Um, And I'm a wellness coach. And so I get to meet with women who are kind of focused and wanting to make some lifestyle changes around their health and wellness. And uh, so my days really kind of vary, uh, looks different each day. Well, as we said a few minutes ago, we are going to talk about marriage and what we bring into it, which is part of probably what you do in your wellness coaching is get women through some of their previous experience to go move forward in life. And I know that there was a moment in time when you were a young woman that um, an atrocity was put on you. you. You had a pretty traumatic experience. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Yeah, it was uh, during my sophomore year of college, and I'd gone on a spring break trip to Las Vegas with a group of friends. And while we were there, we kind of, you know, we were out partying um, that whole week. And uh, we met a group of guys who kind of hung out with us that week we were there. And um, one of the last nights we were there, one of the guys who i kind of had a little bit of a crush on. I mean, he was quite attractive and and nice, nice guy. So I thought, Mm -hmm. um, invited me over to his hotel to watch him do some gambling. And so I did. And while we were there, he he was like, well, I've run out of money. Let's go up to my room, you know, get some more and we can come back down. And so, uh, while we went up to his room, he started kissing me, which, was okay because again, I was attracted to him. Uh, but then, you know, it started to progress further to where he started putting his hands on me and removing my clothes. And I just 
said, no, I don't want to do that. And, um, you know, but he, he kept going and, and I let him because I was afraid, you know, there I was alone in this room. My friends didn't know where I was. And I just remember thinking as he raped me, it was just like, just stay quiet, just stay quiet. And then you can get out of here. And, um, you know, thinking like he, he could kill me and no one would know where I am. Did you tell anyone? Uh, not at first. I, I, um, I told my parents a few months after it happened. Um, but I think I was so ashamed about it. Um, you know, really kind of ashamed that I had put myself in a bad situation that I had been drinking that night, that maybe I was dress dressing a little more like promiscuous uh, than than I normally would. And so I think that there was some just kind of like self blame yeah. that I had started to heap upon myself. Mm. Yeah. I, I would imagine that that experience created all kinds of emotions, feelings, you know, thought processes that probably stayed with you for a long time. And, um, I know that something you have shared is that there was a feeling of self-loathing or desperation, um, that you turned to, to try Mm -hmm. to deal with the pain. Tell us a little bit about that and, you know, kind of where you were emotionally afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of self-loathing. Um, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, kind of like in the nineties during the big, the purity culture. And so there was that strong emphasis on, you know, remaining a virgin until marriage. And so I think when that happened for me, I just, I felt like I was damaged goods after that, you know, like I was just like, well, that blew that, you know? And so, um, so there was a lot of that shame and, self-loathing that went on. And then there were also like the physiological effects Mm -hmm. of the trauma itself. So I would have flashbacks. I started having um, really intense anxiety attacks and just the way that the trauma would sort of flood my nervous system. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Andy Kolber, but she's written this book, Try Softer, where she, she talks about uh, trauma. And I like the way that she says it, like where the traumatic event includes anything that overwhelms a person's nervous nervous system and their ability to cope. And so when this happens, the body is unable to metabolize the stress of the event. And the event essentially kind of gets stuck in the person's nervous system. And so that was exactly what was going on for me where the trauma felt like really lodged and stuck inside my body. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I couldn't concentrate in class anymore. I ended up dropping out of college and then moving back to my hometown. And so I just became really depressed, really angry and kind of turning all of that anger inward toward myself. And so as a way to kind of numb and dull that pain, I started using substances and uh, going going toward relationships with men, you know, to kind of, again, anesthetize all of the pain. So that all went on for about two years, I would say, where I was sort of bouncing around from one relationship to another, and then just numbing my pain. 
you know, with, with these substances. Mm. You know, Rachel, I want to insert here just uh, a side note. Rape is not your fault. Rape Mm. is the perpetrator's fault, the one who raped you. It is not how you dressed. It is not what you drank. It is not the circumstance you put yourself in. You did not cause that. And I want any woman that has Mm. found that to be something they've experienced, I, I want them to know they're not guilty. They're not guilty. There's only yep. one person here that is when that happens. Exactly. And it took me a long time to, to land there, but there was definitely just, again, like all of that of, I put myself in this and I caused it, you know, and uh, no, you're right. Like, no, it was, it didn't matter how I dressed or how much I drank. I said no. And that was it. All right. So you went from that uh, very low point in life to, I assume, just kind of finding your way a little bit because you were, you were seemingly living a pretty active, vivacious, healthy life when um, you met your husband. Can you kind of give us the transition between what we just heard to that moment in time? Yeah. So, so I met Pete five years. Um, after all of this had taken place. And so it was 2007. And, you know, by then I was, I was in a different place emotionally and mentally. And so I I ended up going on a trip with some girlfriends from my church to Hawaii. And so one of the last nights we were there, we went to a restaurant on Waikiki beach. That was kind of like one of the main hangouts for the tourists and the members of the military. And so uh, Pete was, my husband was there with a buddy of his, they were stationed there in Hawaii and they had just gotten home from a 15 month deployment in Iraq. And so um, his buddy started talking to my friend and uh, Pete and I started talking and his opening line was kind of like, there was, they had kind of eclectic art on the wall there. And one of the paintings was this kind of 3D uh, image of a merman, um, as opposed to a mermaid, it was a man. Um, and so Pete made a comment or he quoted a line from the movie Zoolander, which at that time was like one of my favorite movies. So anyway, his humor won my heart over and we just, we started talking and really hit it off. Um, but that was the beginning there, um, on Waikiki beach. You mentioned that he was in the military. So whirlwind romance did he have to leave again what happened next yeah he was definitely definitely a whirlwind uh very unconventional because we eloped 50 days after we met oh wait 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 wait, wait. Um, five zero yeah really five zero five zero so did you talk i mean you were on a vacation in hawaii he was stationed in hawaii did you it was it like a phone dating now we're gonna get married or what happened Yeah, it, you know, it kind of was. I mean, we exchanged numbers before we left. And uh, before, you know, he was there in Hawaii. I flew back to Houston with my friends. And we we stayed in contact. And we just, we talked every day for hours and hours. And he told me, I think about a week after we had met, that he knew he was going to marry me. And, um, and so he ended up flying out to Houston and meeting my family and he proposed 
And then he flew me out to California a few days later to meet his family. And then we eloped uh, while we were out there. So um, it was very quick and people have, course thought we were absolutely crazy but you know I think I think we were kind of fueled by this timeline of knowing like just the pressing reality that he was going to be deploying again soon and so we wanted to start our lives together um also added to that I had been I had been previously engaged like a year and a half before I met Pete and so we had with my ex we had planned this huge wedding invited all of these guests and then we ended up breaking up three weeks before the wedding so it was like a lot of sending back gifts sending back announcements like just you know no Mm -hmm. sorry we're not getting married and I think for me I was like I was really at ease about just not having a big shindig and throwing a big wedding I was like oh oh eloping I don't have to do any planning you know we can go ahead and start our lives together okay yeah I'm in (laughs) So did you move to Hawaii after that or tell tell us what happened? Yes, we married at the end of 2007 and then I moved out to Hawaii about a month later and we started our lives together before he deployed 10 months later. Okay, so 10 months later he deploys. You you stay in Hawaii, I assume? I did. Yes. Because if your husband's in a war zone, Hawaii is the best place to be. (laughs) Oh, I would think so. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, I know that you have shared that, you know, being deployed to the Middle East um, and, you know, having coming home from that, you started to see what you recognized as PTSD. Um, How did you begin to notice that that's what was happening? Yeah, it was, um, he had come home eight months into his deployment for like a two week R&R break. And so um, it, was, it was, we had such an incredible time together those two weeks and just times of connection. And, you know, we hadn't seen each other in eight months. And so, um, but one of the nights I woke up in the middle of the night to hearing Pete kind of roaming around our small little apartment and he was yelling and kind of like muttering these nonsensical words. And so I go out into the living room. I'm like, babe, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? And he turned to me and he was just, he started cursing at me and like, get out of here, leave me alone. And um, cursing at our dog and just kind of like throwing his fist in the air. And, you know, I, I thought that, he was like just sleepwalking and that that was just a byproduct of him being, you know, in a war zone and just not having much sleep while he was there. But um, I started to see like more and more the ways, or I guess I started to notice more and more the ways that he would react to like really small um, annoyances, like to where they were kind of overblown and he would get, irritated really easily. Um, He would often drink to excess and get drunk um, quite often. And then sometimes he would talk about kind of his memories and his, his experiences there in Iraq. And, you know, he would talk about these horrendous, horrific things that no human should ever have to see, you know, just people being blown up and 
heads, you know, and body parts everywhere. And he would talk about it. And then it was always like he would laugh about it. Mm -hmm. And so I started to really like, see, okay, there's, there's more going on here. Um, There's, there's definitely like signs of PTSD. His, his issues were obvious, at least obvious to you when he was home. But Rachel, you you had your own things that you probably, I know we said you came a long way, but were there still things in your life that you brought to the marriage that affected even your reaction to him or your your emotions in the middle of it? So I had done counseling to help with the trauma, you know, and I had stopped using uh, the substances, the hardcore substances. But I think that you know, there was still trauma and sort of the residual pain from my past that kept surfacing. And, um, and so for me, like it, it came out in the ways that I related to Pete. I so wanted to be loved and I wanted to be valued. And I very much would kind of put my sense of self-worth into the hands of others. That really showed up in how Pete and I interacted. I made Pete my God in some ways to where he was like the sun and my world revolved around him. And so when he wasn't okay, I wasn't okay. Um, There was just kind of that unhealthy dynamic or cycle that he and I would go in to where I was so anxious in my uh, relationship with him that it would kind of push him away, which would just fuel my anxiety even more. I know you recently wrote an article for Grit and Grace Life that you titled PTSD Threatened Our Love Story, Finding Help Saved It. Um, And obviously that's telling of your story, your marriage there's a line from that article where you said ours was a union of two fallible humans colliding as they tried to do life together. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah. You know, Pete and I, we loved each other so much. Like we had fun together. We were great friends, but we both carried these unhealed and unaddressed trauma wounds into our marriage. And so he had experienced trauma as a child as well. And then of course, during the war, and then I had my own. And so these pains, these past pains kind of kept continually colliding with one another. And so we were, we were really at a loss as to what was all under the surface there. Um, And so you, you get so used to something where the abnormal and the unhealthy kind of begins to feel normal. At least like that was our experience to where it just, it all felt normal because it happened all the time. And so our communication would uh, with one another would lead to these like mini ruptures where we both dig our heels in and one of us would verbally injure the other And then it would take a while to repair and we'd go, we'd be okay for a while. And then the next episode would happen. And that was kind of our cycle. So everything you've experienced, everything you had experienced uh, led to a fracture in your marriage where I think it got to the place from what you've said, you didn't know if you guys were going to make it or not. You had two daughters, you'd built a life together Did you at that point think there was hope in your marriage or did you think this isn't going to end? 
we'd go through these seasons where we were kind of actively addressing some of our unhealthy dynamics, where we were working with Christian counselors together, and then things would get better for a little bit, but then they didn't seem to really sustain themselves. And so about three and a half years ago, everything sort of erupted in our family um, after we made a cross-country move from North Carolina to Dallas. And we came to a place of indecision about what we wanted to do moving forward. And for for our particular situation, divorce was warranted. Um, I know I know for me, there was hope that God could turn things around and sort of bring beauty out of ashes and reconcile our marriage. And so I just, I held on to those glimmers of hope, but I also had many days where there was no hope. Um, And I know Pete felt the same way where that hope would kind of ebb and flow, but we did make the decision that we were going to try to stay together and that we were going to try to find a new way through it. I'm imagining that some of our listeners are thinking like Dar and I are thinking, you know, you've shared about rape, um, you know, addiction and substance abuse, PTSD, you know, both of you coming in with these traumas and any one of those things would be very difficult as an individual and then very difficult in the middle of marriage. Um, but we here at grit and grace, we say all the time that, we don't have to stay stuck in those hard things. So mm-hmm. you're here today, you know, obviously sharing from a place of you have gotten to the other side. So I, I know we'd love to hear what are some of the steps, especially those first steps that you found really began to turn things around for you guys. Yeah, for us that, um, that entailed getting outside help. And so we both started to see separate therapists and addressing our trauma wounds. You know, like I had said, we, we had seen biblical counselors in the past, which had been helpful, but at this point we needed something more than that. So we sought out therapists who were trained in trauma and addiction. And then we both uh, started attending recovery groups with other men and women who were kind of navigating similar circumstances. Um, I think what we found for us, and I know this probably isn't the case for all couples, but for us, we really needed to do more of the individual work and addressing that before we could really start unlocking the benefits of marriage counseling together. Well, I'll just speak to that just from my own experience. I would agree that I would think most people probably could benefit from individual counseling first, because when you get into a marriage counseling situation, you know, the purpose is to talk about your marriage and you kind of get in this tit for tat and sharing and, you know, this thing happened and this is how I saw it and this is how he saw it instead of what are the things that are down inside Julie that are causing her to hear that experience and the way that she is that's causing her to react the way that she is. So I would just agree with you and, you know, reemphasize the idea of getting your own individual comprehensive help before trying to, you know, address the issues that are definitely there in the marriage. Um, but it's almost like they're at the top exactly. to go down below. Mm, I love that. Yep. I love exactly. that. I, th- I do think that we have to recognize marriage is a partnership mm-hmm. Two individuals who are joined together. So if each individual 
has their own issues, which is what we started this with, is you bring things to marriage that you may not realize you're bringing. You have to work mm -hmm. through that first to be a very successful partnership. Exactly. Yeah. There is this quote that I found that it didn't have, it didn't say who said it, but I loved it anyway. A husband and wife may disagree on many things, but they must agree on this to never, ever give up. Now, mm -hmm. I know there's sometimes where marriages and relationships are unrepairable. They are, have gone so far and one person may not want to, to heal the marriage, not interested in turning this around. And, you know, we understand that. But when both partners say we're not going to give up, I think that's the best way to build a marriage. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, it, it really does take both individuals to buy in and get the help and to um, move forward, you know, and, and quite frankly, like it's, it's been a really long road for us, you know, and I, I still say we're, we're still on this road of healing. Um, it's requiring a lot of patience with the process because I've, I've really tried to hurry it along at times and, and get to the other side of it. But um, yeah, I would say, you know, there's, there's been several stages of like grief that we've had to confront grief around all of the fractures and the fighting and the heartache that we've caused one another at different times. And there's been also just the acceptance of like, okay, these things happened and we are rebuilding trust and honest communication and all of this takes time but it, it's requiring input from both of us um and so now you know we still have our moments together but I think what, what's so different now is that we're able to better recognize you know each other's histories and kind of what we're bringing in and and kind of confronting the trigger points and talking more openly about them. And um, that's been really healing to see instead of like blaming each other and just immediately reacting, there's like a, a calmness and um, not all the time, but like, mm -hmm. again, it's, it's more, it's happening more frequently. There's that calmness and that empathy for one another that, comes in. I think another um, thing that I kind of came, you know, early on as we were repairing, there was a lot of fear in me of like, okay, what if I do all this work and 10 years down the road, he decides to up and leave or, you know, this, this doesn't work for us. And um, I've really kind of come to a place of just trusting God with the outcome like right now in this moment, I'm committed to living in the here and now committed to seeking God and, and with my healing and trusting Pete is doing the same committed to fighting for our marriage, knowing that in the end, like there's no guarantee, but I can trust God with the outcome of this fear does not have a place in this. Mm -hmm. That's really, really helpful, Rachel, because I mean, whether or not you've had some of these, you know, bigger traumas or, or triggering experiences, 
everyday marriage requires that kind of thinking and that kind of commitment and that kind of daily work. And so I think there's been a lot of encouragement from one, your vulnerability. So first, we just want to thank you for your immense vulnerability from the things that you've shared and also offering hope having been through these things. Is there anything we didn't get to talk about? Any final encouragement you want to offer to the wife who might be listening? Yeah, I would just want to encourage her and say, hold on to your worth. You know, don't slip between your fingers and allow all of the voices of your past uh, sway you and tell you that the fight for healing isn't worth it. Fight for yourself, fight for your union. And remember, too, that God created us to heal. He designed us to heal. And because of that, there's hope heartache is not your home. Oh, I love that. Heartache is not your home. I'm stealing that, Rachel. (laughs) Well, I stole it from a line in a song that I'll have to send you. So it's a great song. Um. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, again, we, we do appreciate you being vulnerable. And I know there's, there are listeners who realize they have their own baggage that they brought into a relationship. Me, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. (laughs) Uh, uh, No, I I mean, I've been married a very long time, but I can tell you we had some pretty rough starts. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think every relationship has that. And the fact that you're willing to share yours and the hope of rebuilding and healing, Rachel, I think is invaluable. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you both so much for giving me the safe space to explore and talk about it all. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you, guys. Ooh, that was a really, really hard and good conversation. I'm um, thinking that certainly we're going to like overstuff the show notes with lots of resources on this one Um, because I feel like we talked about a lot of different types of traumas and triggers and marriage you know, stages and difficulties that any one of our listeners might be experiencing. So definitely go to the show notes on this one. If you were hit at any point in this conversation, as like I said, or alluded to a few times, I certainly am right there with you. Um, Marriage is not easy, but it is certainly worth the effort and the commitment and, you know, the fight, like Rachel even said. Mm, so true. And as Rachel indicated to that her confidence is in God and she can't fear the outcome. And I think that's kind of our start. That is our starting place. And fortunately, we have a God who cares about our hurt and heartbreak. So I picked a couple of verses this week Ooh. that I want to share. The first one is in Psalm 147.3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Mm. And then in Mark, the ninth chapter, there was a request made for Jesus to heal, and it ended with, help us if you can. Well, the 23rd verse, he answered them, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. So not only do we have a God who heals, we have one who wants to, and of course he can. I guess I just want to repeat what Rachel said at the end there that you caught on to that heartache is not our home. And we want to encourage you to click over to read some of the articles here at Grit and Grace, or maybe you just need to spend some time reading through some more of these scriptures or seeking some help 
you know, whether that is therapy or biblical counseling, we want to just remind you that all of those options are available to you. And that might just be the perfect show of strength that you need in this season. So thank you so much for listening to this episode and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Make sure you've subscribed and rated and reviewed the show so more friends can find us. You can also share about this episode on your social media or send it to a friend you think it could help. You can find everything we talked about in this episode on our website, gritandgracelife.com, where you'll also find plenty of other articles from other women answering questions you may have.